morning. It's good to be here. So this morning, as um, Andrew said, we're continuing our series on the kingdom of God. And we've been learning over the last few weeks that the kingdom of God can be summarized as God's people in God's place under God's rule. And with the birth of Jesus, God's kingdom was brought to earth. Um, But it's not until his second coming that it's going to be fully established. And we read in Revelation 21 of a new heaven and a new earth where the kingdom of God will reign and we will dwell with our heavenly father. And there will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain. But as we look around us, we can catch glimpses of that promise, but it's not fully seen yet. We are living in the here, but the not yet of the kingdom. So today you'll be reflecting on the role of peace in God's kingdom and how we can know his peace here and now, as well as in his future kingdom. And peace is a concept we've all heard of. We've heard it in lots of different contexts and meanings. It can mean an absence of war or the presence of harmony between individuals. It can be a sense of inner peace when all seems okay inside despite circumstances. And in many languages, it's used in greetings. The word peace is used 329 times in the Bible. So it's a big concept. But biblical peace is more than just the absence of war. It has a much deeper meaning. And to better explain this than I can, we're going to watch a really quick video from the Bible Project that helps us understand what we mean by the word peace in the Bible. Okay, I'm going to ad-lib. So, in the Bible, there is the Hebrew word. This is when you're going to really test me, isn't it? Oh, we've got it. Brilliant. We've lost it again. Should we just leave it? The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or time treaties. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erein. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations, and when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they 
stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Ereina. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. And Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. about this idea of shalom peace and about how God brings areas of brokenness to completeness in him. So that's where we're going this morning. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet looks forward to the Messiah who will rule with peace. And peace is so intrinsic to his character, he is given the name Prince of Peace. And at the birth of Jesus, the angels announce in his coming peace is given to all mankind. This peace is made available to all, not just back then or in the future, but here and now. So throughout his um, ministry, Jesus extends peace. He gives peace to his fearful disciples. He speaks peace over the sinful woman that washes his feet with her tears. He even speaks peace over a storm. In Jesus' coming and the entering of the kingdom of God, Jesus takes what is broken, where there is discord, pain, fear, and binds it up. He brings completeness. He brings shalom peace or arena peace. And at the outset of his ministry, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 61 to explain who he is and to point to himself as the Messiah. And part of that says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted. In the kingdom of God, through the Messiah, the brokenhearted will be bound up. And in that bringing together of what is broken, he will bring shalom, peace. So the concept of being brokenhearted is not unfamiliar to us. In fact, this human state is one that's very lucrative to the music industry. On Spotify, a single stream of a song earns the artist 0.008p. And a study conducted last year found that the, earn, the highest earning heartbreak song was Lewis Capaldi's Someone You Loved. Having been streamed over two billion times, it earned him in something of the region of £6,215,831.35. 
So popular culture will usually define brokenheartedness within the context of romantic love, which is painful at times. But in today's passage, to be brokenhearted is wider in its stretch and encompassing many circumstances and situations beyond the romantic. The heart is written of over a thousand times in the Bible, with the original Hebrew and Greek words referring to a physical element within us that controls our body, but is also from where our will, attitudes, the source of our thoughts, actions, and words originate. Essentially, our hearts are at the center of who we are. It's the core of us. It's me. It's you. And so when we speak of being brokenhearted, we are looking at the very core of who we are being broken. We don't have to look far to see heartbreak. I work as a nurse with vulnerable population groups, including asylum seekers, refugees, and the homeless. And every week I hear stories of people who have broken lives, shattered hearts, and are in deep pain. And over the past few weeks, we've been hearing about that devastating earthquake in Syria and Turkey, where whole communities have been destroyed. Families are homeless, they're grieving. And we've just been hearing about the first anniversary of the Ukraine uh, war. And it may be for you that things in life are going okay at the moment, and that's okay. I think sometimes there's a bit of an obligation to look like we're suffering. It's all right to be okay with things at the moment, but it could be that you're struggling right now. And the concept of being broken-hearted feels very real for you. The Hebrew word for broken-hearted is shabar. It doesn't just mean a bit chipped or cracked, it means shattered. So think of a glass dropped on a concrete floor or a shattered mirror. The cracks and splinters and shards of glass are everywhere with no way of bringing themselves back together. So to be broken-hearted refers to that deep pain in the core of who we are and to be overwhelmed with sorrow, pain, crushing or a weakening of our spirit. So if you're feeling broken-hearted this morning, it might be because you were struggling with physical pain, poor mental health, addictions, trauma, loneliness, isolation, debt, being a victim of racism, discrimination or abuse. Or it could be that as you look around you, the presence of injustice, corruption, natural disasters, poverty, war, they quite rightly break your heart. This is just not how it should be. So whether it be in our own lives or that of others, most of us at some point will feel brokenhearted. In the Bible, the image of being brokenhearted is also found in Psalm 147. It's a psalm remembering a period of exile of Israel, a time of pain and separation from God. Whether we would say we are brokenhearted this morning or not, all of us, in a sense, are spiritually exiled without Jesus. So all of us are brokenhearted. We were created to live in a relationship with God, but when sin entered the world, it caused division and separation. Sin took what was perfect and complete and shattered it. So that's why the coming of the Messiah is such good news. In John 3.16, we read that God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his one only son, Jesus, so that whoever should believe in him should be saved. Our shattered and broken relationship with our Heavenly Father can be redeemed. We can know God's shalom peace. If you've never accepted Jesus as your saviour, but you're aware of the brokenness in your heart and of your sin, there is an opportunity this morning for you to respond to him. It's not a surprise to God that we may struggle or feel broken at times. In fact, Jesus warned his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. And I think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes life is just painful. 
When things are tough, we can feel overwhelmed and controlled by the pain, like we're drowning in it. Or we may try to ignore it, fix it. I am very much a ignore it and fix it sort of person. Uh, just get on with it. It's one of my favourite sayings that I do get teased about from friends. And while there may be a time or a place for this, it's actually been quite a lesson for me to learn to stop. Not to keep careering on and pretending I'm okay, everything's okay, and all's okay, but to come before my Heavenly Father and just stop and say, I can't do this anymore. I've come to the end of myself, I'm broken, I'm weak, I fall short, I can't fix me, and I can't fix the pain around me. Sometimes when walking through a time of brokenness, um, we can feel distant from God. The faith that you've always been so certain of can be crumbling around you. You may be wrestling with unanswered prayer. Or you're aware of your own sin, you've messed up and you can't see your way back. Your heart is broken, you feel spiritually bankrupt, hopeless, and you're yearning for God's help and comfort and salvation. So this morning I wonder where do you feel broken, shattered, at the end of yourself and your own resources? Are there areas of your life when you are broken you're trying to desperately fix them yourself? Is the pain threatening to overwhelm you? And where is God in all of this? What is he asking of us? What is he doing? God does not leave us in our brokenness, but promised to bind up our broken hearts. If you go back to the Isaiah verse, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. What does it mean to be bound up? I'm a nurse, and so the idea of being bound up, I immediately think of bandages and wound care, and it's all very exciting. But I appreciate wounds. It's probably not everybody's cup of tea on a Sunday morning, so um, let's just move on from that quickly. But we all know the humble plaster. It's a very quick, easy way to put on a, on a wound, to stem the bleeding, prevent infection. And it's great for superficial wounds, but any wound of any significance, it's going to be pretty ineffective. In Isaiah, the verb to bind up means to inspire with confidence, to give hope, courage, to encourage, to bandage, to dress by covering, wrapping, or binding. In some translations of this verse, the word heals is used instead of bind up. And that's not just a basic improvement to normality, but it means fully restored, perfect healing. Where hearts are broken, God isn't just about putting on a temporary sticky plaster. He's not making do with superficial healing. Through Jesus, God is able to fully bind up, heal completely, restore absolutely. And in doing so, he is bringing his shalom peace, his kingdom enters in. So let's pause for a moment to reflect on a story of Jesus' encounter with a broken, hurting woman in Luke 8. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This lady was desperate. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She would have felt physically really unwell. But she was also deemed to be unclean. And any physical contact with her would have been avoided from people. She was excluded from society. And she was excluded from the temple. On every level, this woman was broken. 
She's physically in pain, shamed, stigmatized, isolated, ostracized from society, and she was cut off from God. She was brokenhearted. She was desperate and recognized that maybe, just maybe, Jesus was the answer. And when Jesus calls her out and she bravely steps forward, Jesus does not react with disgust and rebuke her, but instead shows her love and compassion. He calls her daughter and reinstates her dignity and place in society. But not only this, he gives her his peace. His last words to her were, go in peace. Jesus takes her brokenness and binds her up with his shalom peace. It may be that whatever situation you find yourself in, you are desperate this morning. You've tried to fix things yourself, but you can't see a way forwards. This story that reminds us that Jesus is never out of reach. He's never too busy. In faith, you can reach out to him and he will listen. He will see you. Jesus takes our brokenness, the many parts of our hearts and lives, and brings them together in him. He will restore you in your sonship, your daughtership, with your heavenly father. It may not mean a miraculous change of your circumstances like it did for this lady. But in that place of brokenness, you can ultimately know God's shalom peace. And it's not a peace that can be forced or conjured up. It's not just a vague peace that is found through a denial of circumstances, but it's a peace that transcends all understanding. One of the things that um, really um, strikes me in this story is that Jesus was not repulsed or angry at this woman. She was unclean, and having just touched him, in theory, she had made him unclean. But Jesus responds with incredible compassion. Why is that? Well, firstly, I think it's because Jesus saw this woman as a daughter of God, made in his image and very much loved. You may not know this, but you are made in God's image. You are his child, and he very much loves you. Secondly, I think it's because Jesus understands our pain. We see Jesus at the graveside of his uh, friend Lazarus. He experienced grief and loss. We read of his deep pain and being abandoned by friends, struggling with God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. He faced ridicule, injustice, frustration, exhaustion, poverty, and of the ultimate separation from God, his father, as he hung on the cross. When we feel weak and broken, God is not distant, but is with us. Jesus understands and stands with us in our pain. He does not turn his back on us, but shows us deep compassion and love. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This morning, if you are feeling broken, know that God is close to you. He understands and he loves you. Whether we find ourselves in a period of feeling brokenhearted or not, we are called to partner with God in his kingdom. Everything Jesus did during his ministry was to point to others, to God his Father. And in his last days, Jesus said to his followers, you will do even greater things than he. And this may seem an unreasonable amount of pressure, especially if we are struggling. But God is not asking us to do the binding up. He is not asking us to create the shalom peace. That's his job. But we are asked to point others to him, to extend love, to seek unity, to provide comfort. There may be times that even the thought of doing much more than beyond functioning is overwhelming. And if today you are here this morning or you're watching online and that's all you can do, that's okay. There's no pressure or expectation. And if that's you, you are welcome. Come and rest. But the question remains, if we are broken, yet God calls us to partner with him in bringing his kingdom, does that mean God can use the brokenhearted? What if we feel too broken? 
Can God use the shattered, seemingly irretrievable parts of our lives for his kingdom? Absolutely. The Apostle Paul recognized his own weakness and struggles, and yet we read in 2 Corinthians, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulty, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God does not dismiss us because we are broken, but it's exactly at these times when we are at our weakest and we recognize our own limitations, we could come to God and give ourselves to him. Instead of relying on our own abilities or efforts to keep going and fix ourselves, we can come and know God's strength and power. God takes the broken areas of our lives and uses them for his kingdom. This is not to say that God causes pain or that this is his desire for us, but it is to say that he can take what is shattered and bring shalom peace. The author Henry Newen writes that only in experience brokenness and pain ourselves can we truly identify with others. When we are hurting or have done so in the past, it can be tempting to hide our wounds, to try and cover them up, but there are ways that God can use our wounds and our brokenness to come alongside others who are broken, to listen, hug, cry with them, provide practical help, show them his love, to point them to Jesus and his shalom peace. I recognize this can take a great deal of courage and it may not always be well received, but also it can be hard to know what to say. A common response we might get from others when we're feeling broken is, they're there, it'll get better soon. You just need to forgive and forget. I understand. And we kind of get it, don't we? we? I mean, probably want to punch them in the face, but we understand that when people say those things to us, that actually they're just struggling to know what to say. They want to make things better for us. They want to give us hope. Um, they might want to try and rationalize why things are hard for us right now. And for us, when we see somebody else in that situation, we want to say the right thing. Some of us have been reading the book of Job as part of reading the Bible in a year, and we've, we've been reading about Job's so-called friends who, in his time of brokenness, came to him, and instead of bringing him comfort, brought accusation and guilt and falsehoods about himself and about God. They were miserable friends. Sometimes when we see others around us who are brokenhearted, the best thing we can do is to come alongside them and be quiet, and maybe just cry with them. Paul writes in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It may be that you are aware of someone else having a tough time and God is asking you to let him use your wounds to bring his shalom peace to another. I also wonder if sometimes God um, uses our broken hearts to reflect his own broken heart and he uses that to drive us into action. At the beginning of my nursing career, I had a spiritual mentor called Jane, and I'd meet every few months and talk with her, reflect and pray together. And she had permission to ask those searching, difficult questions. She knew my passion for wanting to work as a nurse in a developing country. And I spoke with her many times of my frustration at wanting to go, but sensing that God was asking me to wait a bit longer. And Jane, in turn, would encourage me to develop myself professionally, emotionally and spiritually as I waited. I remember one day when the frustration was getting too much and I was beginning to wonder if I'd got it wrong and maybe this wasn't something I should be heading for. At that moment, Jane said something to me that's still with me today. 
she said something like, you, see, you speak of seeing starving children on your TV and poverty in sub-Saharan Africa, and you respond in tears and an overwhelming desire to go. You know that's not a normal response, don't you? You know that not everyone sees those images and responds in that way. <laughs> that was quite shocking to me. I was like, isn't it? In that moment, God struck, struck me that this heart-wrenching pain that I experienced when I saw those images and heard those stories wasn't something that I'd come, conjured up in myself, but was actually a reflection of God's heart for the poor. What I was beginning to see as something that was causing me discomfort and frustration was actually a God-given gift to draw me into action in his broken world. And a few years later, I found myself in Chad. Chad is in sub-Saharan Africa, as you may know, and it's one of the poorest countries. And I lived on the edge of the Sahara Desert. And looking back, it was a time of um, great joy and great pain for me. There were times when we saw God's kingdom come miraculously. We saw healings, we saw people live that should not have lived. We saw people come back to life. Jesus' name was preached, the Chadian Bible was there, and it was given out to people that had never heard of it before. This was incredible moments of seeing God's kingdom. But in the midst of that, there were lives that were lost. There were battles that we did not win. For myself, professionally, I was totally flawed. All my confidence was gone out the window as I battled with the language and the culture and the 50-degree heat. I was incredibly lonely at times. And to be honest, there are some of the memories that I still struggle with now. But even in that time of real highs and real lows, God spoke to me about bringing his kingdom. In that area of brokenness, there were times when he very clearly answered my prayer and said, this is where you should be right now. Is there something that's causing your heart to break? Or maybe it used to cause your heart to break, but you've tried to push it to one side. Is there an area of heartbreak that you need to revisit and bring it before God and reflect on that? Is that something a God-given desire that he wants you to pray through? Is he calling you to action? Is God calling you to pray and intercede for others, for our community? Is he asking you to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for justice? Is he calling you to another career, maybe another country? It may be this morning that you are feeling heartbroken, shattered, beyond repair, yet we have a Messiah, the Prince of Peace, who promises to bind up the brokenhearted. And as, God king, as God's kingdom breaks in, we can know his shalom peace today. Is God calling you to himself, asking that you let him bind up where you are broken and to allow his peace to enter your heart today? Is God asking you to come alongside someone else who is hurting? to sit with them, to allow God to use you in pointing them to him? Is God drawing your attention to an area of brokenness in your heart that reflects his heart and he's calling you to action? We'll shortly be taking communion when we'll have an opportunity to come before Jesus as we are. At Passover, in Jesus' time, Jews would commemorate their deliverance from Egypt through sacrificing a male firstborn lamb which was without blemish. At that time, when the lambs were born, each one was bound up tightly in special temple swaddling cloths to protect them, to protect their perfect skin. And they were contained in a manger to be examined. Once they were found to be blemish-free, they'd be led to Jerusalem to be sacrificed. <laughs> 
I wonder, does this sound familiar? <coughs> Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, was born in a stable, bound up in cloths, laid in a manger. Later in life, he went to Jerusalem and was condemned to death, the perfect sacrifice for all. Through Jesus' death, we can know reconciliation with God the Father. We can know shalom peace. When John saw Jesus coming towards him, he exclaimed, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in Isaiah, we read, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Let's just pray for a moment. Father God, we thank you that through Jesus you bind up our broken hearts and you bring your shalom peace. This morning we bring you our every situation, our pain, our brokenness, our exhaustion, our doubts, and lay them at your feet. Thank you, God, that you promise to take what is broken and restore it to wholeness, whether that be in our hearts, our relationships, our circumstances, or in the world. Thank you that through Jesus, our relationship with you is restored and we can know shalom peace. Jesus prayed this over his disciples, and so I pray it over you this morning. Peace I leave with you. Jesus says, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Amen.